Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast, a Canadian real estate podcast that shows you how to pay off your mortgage sooner and live well while doing it. Now, here's your host, Sean Cooper. Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. I'm Sean Cooper, and it's great to be back for another episode. On today's show, I'll be talking to Alfred Yang. Alfred is the creator of ProLiteracy.ca, an online service that Canadians use to plan finances for post-secondary education. Alfred wants to spread personal finance awareness, starting with an area that impacts at least one in three Canadians financial planning for post-secondary education. Families often feel overwhelmed when presented with the ever-increasing cost of post-secondary education. Proliteracy.ca brings all aspects of financial planning to one place. It analyzes data from cities and post-secondary institutions across the country to provide forecasts on cost. It consolidates information related to RESP, grants, and scholarships to present personalized funding recommendations. Proliteracy.ca is also a social platform that allows students and families performing similar planning to exchange information. In my interview with Alfred, we discussed the importance of financial literacy, graduating with less student debt, and getting a mortgage when you're self-employed. Without further ado, here's my interview with Alfred Yang. Hi, Alfred. How are you doing today? Doing great. Awesome. Looking forward to an interesting discussion on financial literacy and debt. Uh, Thanks for having me, Sean. My pleasure. So can you tell me a bit about yourself and your unique, interesting business? Sure. I'm a lifelong engineer, so I graduated from the University of Toronto back in the early 2000s as a computer engineer, and I've worked in the software industry ever since. So I've worked in a number of large companies, a number of mid-sized companies, and uh, more recently, I founded my own business called Finnovate.io. Basically, what we do is we build web, mobile applications with a focus on financial literacy. So we focus on helping organizations like financial services uh, institutions that you may be familiar with, you know, educational institution, and also you know, nonprofit organizations in Canada. And as part of our work, we actually have a multi-year partnership with the Toronto District School Board. So with the TDSB, we leverage technology to help students and parents understand the finances related to post-secondary education. So, so for example, we help them forecast the cost of a post-secondary education in the future using a technology and open data. We also help bring awareness to you know, various funding options, such as the grants that are tied to RESPs, various government grants like OSAP, and also scholarships that may be available, all with the focus of helping the student graduate with less debt and you know, helping them understand the obligations of taking on a student loan. Yeah, so essentially that's what we do. We build technology that educate consumers and organizations alike about personal finance. That sounds quite fascinating. And you told me a bit about your technology background, but perhaps you could just tell us a bit about how you got interested in the financial literacy and education side. 
Yeah, it's an interesting story. I would know. I almost came across this line of work by accident. About three years ago, I was a finalist at this nationwide hackathon called the Open Data Experience Hackathon. And you know, at the time, we developed the first version of proliteracy.ca, which is essentially the tool that we use with the school board to help students and parents. So that was an event where I built the first iteration. And then since then, we, we've actually leveraged the technology with other organizations. We've helped other other organizations build very similar technology, all with the kind of goal of you know helping consumers make better financial decisions. So it started as a hackathon, and it started with a passion for building technology that's useful to people, and it just kind of you know kept going there. And you know today we have you know our business had grown quite a bit, and we have over twenty plus customers now. So. Yeah, it started you know small, and then we just kept doing more and more work. Well, cool. Thanks for sharing your story. Now you mentioned that you work closely with schools. Now speaking of high school students, what have you learned about their perspective on debt? Yeah, so we certainly observe kind of varying levels of knowledge with regards to debt, especially across different regions of the you know Greater Toronto area. But in general, I would say that students. Aren't that knowledgeable about debt? A lot of them are unaware、um, of how expensive a post-secondary education can be. We talk to a lot of students with great aspirations. They want to become professionals when they graduate from college. They want to be doctors or lawyers. But very few of them understand the number of years of schooling that is required in order for them to prepare themselves for that type of profession. And also, they're unaware of the costs that may be associated with like a seven or eight-year education program. So certainly, when we tell them how much, for example, an engineering degree at a major school costs these days, or how much a medical degree costs at a major educational institution these days, they are surprised. And in many、uh, scenarios, their parents are surprised as well, right? I would say that in general, the majority of students are unaware of the costs, and they're not really prepared to pay for those costs. I mean, if you think about it, we we talk to students in the grade ten to twelve range, in about two years' time, less than two years' time, they have to become responsible for their own personal finance, right? And it's pretty alarming kind of type of observation because you know many of them. Just aren't aware of how you know expensive a school has become, right? And so what we try to do is help bring awareness to first and foremost the cost and the expectation, and also you know help bring awareness to the various types of funding that is available through different sources. No, that sounds great, and that reminds me. I remember seeing perhaps a piece on TV or reading something online, but it seems like high school students have no idea about how much it costs to rent or purchase a house or the upkeep of a house in terms of mortgage payments, utilities, property taxes, and all that. So I certainly think that there needs to be a better job done in terms of financial literacy, because, like you said, when you have your parents covering all those costs, it can kind of be a bit of a Shock to go from paying nothing to having all these expenses adding up to hundreds or thousands of dollars. So certainly, I, I think that's great to provide a better understanding for students because it's better than being blindsided with all these costs and then ending up with five figures of debt and perhaps not having a good job when you graduate. I mean, it doesn't sound like a very good combination to me. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you bring up a good point. When high school students think about their life after high school, they think about college and you know paying a tuition. But to your point, there's a lot more to it, right? You know, when they're out of high school, many of them are actually living away from you know their families. All of a sudden, they have to become responsible for their personal finances. You know, paying for room and board or paying for rent, and also you know a lot of costs that are not immediately apparent, like transportation, school expenses, computer equipment. So everything comes to the student at once. And you know, not having that knowledge in advance, right? You know, can catch a lot of students off guard. Great. So, following up on that, what are some things prospective new high school graduates have to be aware of? I think first and foremost is to research. They should do their research to understand the type of program that are, they're pursuing and their related costs. So, when we talk to high school students, we often tell them, "You're choosing a path for your career. You know, pick something that you're passionate about that you can see yourself spending a lot of time in." I think that's first and foremost. But then, of course, you know they have to understand the financial obligations that come with it. So, you know, let's say if a student is interested in pursuing engineering, they may want to do a bit of research to understand kind of the rough costs associated with a four-year engineering program, and look at you know the cost differential between the different schools because going. To one school, the tuition for the same program can be very different from、um, that of another school. So, doing the research, understanding the cost is also important. And I think one thing that's very important that not enough families do is simply to talk about these things, right? So, it's never too early for the students to have. A conversation with their parents about their future. It's not never too early to open up a conversation about RESP, for example, right? Many students that we've talked to don't even know what an RESP is, and you know, let alone whether they know if their parents already have one for、um, their post-secondary education. So, understanding things like the registered education savings plan. Talk to their parents about it to see if they have one. How much contribution they could expect from the RESP when they graduate high school, I think, goes a long way towards you know understanding you know the the students' own obligations. You know, also just you know have the knowledge around the type of fundings that are available. So, for example, in the、uh, province of Ontario, most students would get. Financial aid through a program called OSAP, the Ontario Student Assistance Program. Now, there's been、uh, some radical changes to OSAP in recent years, and more changes are coming in the、uh, 2019 school year. And they dramatically impact the students' ability to finance their post-secondary education. So, reading about it and just learning about you know updates and changes. Goes a long way towards planning their own finances and minimizing debt when they graduate from college. So I think the key here is, you know,、uh, just be in the know, understand trends related to、um, the types of、uh, funding available to students, and understanding their own situation. Talk to their parents about it to understand the type of help they could expect to receive and, you know, the level of contribution they are expected to put forward on their own. Yeah. So all in all, is just understanding the situation and talking about it with the family and perhaps、uh, friends goes a long way. No, I totally agree. That was very well said. And looking back, as they say, hindsight is twenty twenty. I wish perhaps my parents had 
laid it out a bit better with post-secondary education because I really didn't understand RESPs myself. My parents didn't set that up or anything, but perhaps if we had had that conversation about how to pay for post-secondary education sooner, I would have been more, more motivated to get a job right away at 16 years old instead of perhaps waiting a bit longer. So I just wish that I had that conversation earlier on. I mean, things ended up turning out well for me, but certainly think if students had that conversation earlier on, perhaps with their parents or with the school and just had a better understanding of how much education costs and how those costs will be paid for, then at least they'll be better educated and be able to come up with a game plan with their family in order to pay for that and not just end up with a mountain of debt at the end of the day. Yeah. And it's interesting that you mentioned that, you know, a lot of students and even parents that we've talked to, you know, for example, if a family has a kid that is going to college for the very first time, even the parents themselves may not be aware of the high cost of going to school today. You know, we've spoke to parents who are, you know, still under kind of the belief that a student can pay for their own schooling by working through summers and part-time jobs. This was certainly the case maybe 20 years ago, right, when the parents went to college themselves. But that's no longer the case because tuition has increased dramatically, you know, since the, you know, the, the past couple of decades. As much as I like the student to pay for schools themselves, I just don't think it's realistic to expect a student to pay for schools uh, on their own. They will certainly need help and they will certainly need financial aids from the government or other sources. I would say that students today have it harder than students of yesterday. For example, when I went to college you know, in the early 2000s, my engineering degree cost $4,000 a year. Right. And this was a four year program. And I thought that was expensive. Right. But nowadays, uh, students have to pay at least three times that that amount in order to, to get an engineering degree. Same program, same school. It certainly ha has changed. Right. And I think parents need to learn that, you know, times has changed and students need more help than before. Wow, and that's in less than 20 years. And I mean, I don't know about you, but uh, I don't think inflation's been running at 20%. That certainly seems like the tuition costs have been going up a lot faster than inflation. So just a good reminder of how much tuition costs have gone up in recent years and will probably go up in the future. So yeah, thanks for that helpful reminder. Yeah, on average, if you look at Ontario, the annual increase in tuition is uh, 7%. Like at the major college and university, you're, we're looking at a pretty consistent increase of 10%. Although with the new government in 2019, they're mandating a reduction of tuition by 10% for this year. So we'll see how that plays out. Great. And still focusing on the students, what are your general recommendations to students? Yeah, in addition to just being aware and following current events, especially around news that impact how government funding is allocated, I think a lot of it just comes down to kind of absorbing yourself in the culture of being financially responsible, especially for older students. We work with students in the grade 10 to 12 range. Many of them are not as financially savvy as they may want themselves to be. Start understanding financial concepts, start understanding the types of, for example, bank accounts, the types of borrowing that are available in the future go a long way. So, you know, one example is we often talk to the students about debt, 
right? And the different forms of debt that they may take on early in their you know young adult lives. Student loan is obviously one big component. Uh, most uh, students in the country graduate with a student debt. But in addition to that, there may be other forms of debt that comes our way that we may not be aware of. So, for example, a credit card. Many thought of it as just a kind of a convenience, and it is. But what many students aren't aware of that really a credit card is a form of debt in disguise, right? And you know, it has to be used, you know, with um, you know a lot of care. There may be you know other types of debt that that they may need to take on. You know, if they're planning to become a homeowner, they may have to take on a mortgage. I'm sure you're more familiar with that topic than I am, Sean. You know, there may be other forms of debt. They're you know leasing a car. That's you know potentially another form of debt that they may have to take on. All in all, is all about learning and being prepared for their financial future because. It comes a lot quicker than most students think. When we're talking to high school students, they they need to be ready in a few years' time, right? And it's a lot to learn in just a few years. And I think understanding the implication of debt, understanding the implication of interest, goes a long way towards a healthy financial well-being. Because you know, when when I look at you know kind of my younger self, right, I spend my first paycheck buying something really ridiculous instead of paying down debt, right. I think I, you know, regret it to this day because I ended up paying the bank a lot more interest than I should, right? You know, things like that. I think、uh, I wish I knew earlier, and like to help you know students and young people understand those concepts earlier before they they they're losing out on kind of like a mountain of debt. Yeah, those are some great points that you made, and certainly on the side of debt and credit, I just wish there was a better understanding of both topics. Because certainly, if you get into trouble with debt and you don't make your credit card payments on time early in life, it can affect you later in life when you go to apply for a mortgage. You might not be able to get a mortgage with a prime lender, and you might be forced to go to a private lender, and and that can definitely cost you a lot more in the long run. So I think it's important for students to have a better understanding. And I mean, unfortunately, with the financial literacy system the way it is, it seems to me students just aren't getting that education that they need. Certainly, you know, sometimes you have to seek out the information. That you need when it comes to credit and debt management, but I'm glad there are people like yourself out there helping students gain a better understanding of that. Yeah, and I think an important part of debt management is prioritization. In a young person's life, debt comes in all shapes and sizes, and I think some are more more urgent to pay off than others. You know, for example, if you have credit card debt, you should never let it get out of hand. I would say go to the extent of just paying the balance off, like every month on a timely basis, because as you probably know, you know, credit card interest is incredibly high, much higher than student loan, and you know, if you let it get piled up, it can really catch you off guard. Right, so I think it's important to understand the different debt obligation and prioritizing paying them off accordingly because、uh, some debt are more expensive than others. Now, you founded your business two and a half years ago. What can you share with students who may be interested in following in your footsteps and doing the same thing? You know, when I graduated from college, building our startup wasn't as cool as nowadays. These days, you hear about these unicorn companies get founded in a dorm room. You know, but that's not really a good reflection of how 
the typical business is started. You know, certainly based on my experience, running a business is pretty hard, and there's no guarantee income, right? So you know, your income, your revenue is purely based on you finding customers, and finding customers is you know can be difficult. Right, especially when you're starting out, when you have no customers, when you have no reputation, and you have very little capability and human resources. I think young people coming out of college thinking about starting a business needs to consider a few things. First and foremost, is do they really have the financial capability, the flexibility to do so? Because in the first or couple of years of business, you may have to tolerate, you know, loss. You may have to tolerate not paying yourself very much. Right now, this can be very difficult to do if you graduate with a student debt. If you have thirty thousand in debt, you know, when you Come out of college, right? You have to ask yourself: Can you really, you know, afford to start a business paying yourself very little while managing your debt obligations at the same time? Starting a business, it's great. I mean, it can be very fulfilling, and you know, if you have great idea that is time sensitive, then I would say, yeah. I mean, you know, it's worth a shot. But at the same time, running a business is probably a lot harder than most people think. And in my case, right, I only started a business after I've had been employed for a number of years, and I've accumulated enough wealth for me to have a lot more freedom and flexibility. So currently, I'm debt-free. I have no debt at all. I have enough savings to probably do an early retirement. But I just want to keep working, and I want to try something new, and that allows me to run a business while paying myself very little each year. I don't think every person is in a position to do that. So, I mean, starting a business just for the sake of starting a business typically isn't a good idea. I think you have to kind of consider the financial situation, the type of business you want to pursue, the idea that you have, and whether you want to start a business for a greater purpose as opposed to you know just doing it for the sake of doing it. I think the good news for entrepreneurs nowadays is that the cost of you know starting a business has never been lowered. You know, with the internet, you know anyone can reach a large audience if they do the right thing. So it's a level playing field for organizations, large and small. You know, I'm in the software business. In recent years, open source has been great for innovation because、um, software developers can access many tools at no cost whatsoever, and they have the support of a very large community that can help them solve problems. So the cost of running a business, especially a technology business, has been much lower than in prior years, and You know, I think it's it's great time for entrepreneurs who you know who, who are trying to do something meaningful while reducing costs. But the nature of business itself hasn't changed, and getting business, getting customers is still hard, and income is not guaranteed. Yeah, so just be aware and you know kind of assess your own financial situation before starting a business. But it can be very fulfilling if you get it right. That's very well said. And on the point of starting your own business. Perhaps if you want to purchase a property, it might be a, a better idea to stay a salaried employee, buy your property, and then decide to start your own business because it is a lot harder for self-employed individuals to qualify for a mortgage. And a lot of self-employed individuals are trying to minimize the amount of taxes that they pay. But the problem is, if you've paid yourself the smallest salary possible, then it makes it harder to qualify for a mortgage. So you might end up having to. Pay more on your mortgage rate if you have to go to a private lender or or an alternative lender. So just some food for thought. 
Yeah, no, a very good point, Sean. And I only started my business, uh, like I said, when I've uh, accumulated a certain uh, level of net worth and of a home, I have roof to cover my head without a mortgage, right? So um, in that sense, right, it gives me a lot of flexibility to do things that I truly enjoy. And that includes starting a business. Great. Well, Alfred, it's been wonderful having you on the show today. Before I let you go, is there anything of interest that you're working on that you'd like to share with our listeners? At the end of the day, we work with the school board in the greater Toronto area. So chances are, if you're a parent or a student, you may be attending a school that is part of our network. If you're interested in you know, having our guest speakers come to your school to do a talk on financial literacy or a talk on planning finances for post-secondary education. Reach out for your to a school counselor or you know your teacher. They should know about us. We're proliteracy.ca. That's the name we operate under when we work with the schools. And you can have them request our lecturers to come in and talk to you and your classmates or 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 if you're a parent, your kids. So yeah, that's who we are. And yeah, we look forward to meeting some of your listeners in, in person, Sean. Great. And I'll be sure to include the link in the show notes. So thanks so much for being on the show today, Alfred. It was wonderful having you. Yeah, likewise, Sean. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Burn Your Mortgage podcast. Besides being a podcast host, I'm also an independent mortgage broker. If you or anyone you know, family, friends, coworkers, or neighbors could ever use any unbiased mortgage advice or a second opinion, feel free to reach out. Email me at Sean, that's S-E-A-N, at burnyourmortgage.ca or call or text me at 647-867-3711 for a free mortgage consultation. Also, be sure to head on over to www.burnyourmortgage.ca and sign up for my free weekly newsletter. As a small token of my appreciation, you'll be able to download my ultimate mortgage checklist on choosing the perfect mortgage. I look forward to hearing from you and helping you with all your mortgage needs. Once again, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating. Until next time, happy mortgage burning. <laughs>